comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 61. This episode is brought to you by Princeless from Action Lab Entertainment. Action Lab Entertainment is proud to present Princeless, which tells the story of Adrian, one princess who's tired of waiting to be rescued. Join Adrian and her guardian dragon, Sparky, in an action adventure designed specifically for those who are tired of waiting to be rescued and who are ready to save themselves. Written by Jeremy Whitley, with stunning art by M. Goodwin, and featuring a backup story by Jeremy and D.E. Belton, Princeless is a swashbuckling miniseries that will appeal to children of all ages. Princeless, who needs Prince Charming? Save yourself. Princeless is a comic book miniseries available for pre-order this month at dcbservice.com, tfall.com, or your local retailers, or various online retailers with an order code of August 110748. Additional information and release schedule can be found at actionlabcomics.com. Once again, that's actionlabcomics.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. Uh, this week, Matinee Idols Month continues here on the PKD Black Box as Matinee Idols co-host Matt Burden and special guest, artist Gabriel Hartman, uh, we all conclude our talk on the Planet of the Apes series. Uh, in last week's episode, we talked about the first two films and partially talked about the third film before the episode ended. And now you get to hear the rest of the conversation on this episode. Really hope you enjoy it. Sit back, chill out. We're just going to get straight to the conversation. No more small talk. Here it is, our feature presentation. Going back to Escape from the Planet of the Apes, like I said before, the whole dynamic between Cornelius and Zira is what sells the film, and it pulls it out of the realm of not it, it just not being a science fiction movie, but allows the studio itself to sell the film in a way that is science fiction, but not science fiction. That's how I saw it when, when I watched it, but I still do enjoy it. Yeah, and I think that it's it's something that they were selling. I mean, I think that the, they're thinking of this as some kids' movie, I guess, although it's really strange that they would be making something that's ostensibly a kid's movie that would end that tragically you know it's it's so odd but great in that way i love that but and one of the things you were talking before about it about the kind of contemporary aspect of it you know it taking place in our world like one of the really weird things for me about re-watching those movies the last couple times i'd seen them is after it all takes place in los angeles and after I'd moved here, my wife had, uh, she worked at the LA Zoo for, uh, for years. I'd been over there a lot, knew it well. And lots of the other places they go in the movie are very familiar to me, even though they're 30 years old, or however long, 1970, right. whatever. So it's really strange to see all that stuff in the context of the Planet of the Apes movie, because I'm super familiar with a lot of it just from real life. And I think what also is kind of um, funny is like how this movie is like market was marketed and advertised. If you look at the poster, there's like this family portrait of you know Cornelius and Zira and the baby. It's really weird. It's 
it's, you know, it's just it was just a weird way to really sell it. But yeah. uh, but it works though because it's still very bizarre. So, yeah. um, but the way they marketed all these films and the way films were marketed back then as opposed to now are two different things. I mean, back then you would have all you would have a bunch of posters, you know, various posters. You would have um, program booklets, which would have like images of the film, concepts, you know, the concept of the movie, the actors that are in the film, and actresses. I kind of miss that sometimes. I mean, granted, the internet can give us whatever it wants to give us, but it, there was something that was still very um, tech, you know, tactile and very personable about how program booklets and posters were created back then as opposed to now oh yeah i agree i collect a lot of that stuff i i totally agree yeah i i, I think the stuff I, I think you know i think that's great and i think that was the one thing that both 20th century fox and the whole planet planet of the apes franchise had going for itself they knew they knew how to market the film and sometimes they didn't you know, i mean mistakes were definitely made but they knew how to market this film, or they took chances on mark on how to market this film, and I think that also helped attribute its success. I mean, if you look at the way that trailers were done way back when, when they would show, I mean, now everything's kind of like a fever dream of, we'll give you, I don't know, almost like, how, however long, you know, film adverts are now, one minute thirty, and it's usually just kind of this flashing lots of quick here's a load of images here's here's a really good bit of cgi which will be even better when you see the real film um but you know in those days there were almost complete scenes of dialogue exchanges and um yeah quite often it, there would be you know, I, I quite often you know if those were now in theaters i'd be shouting spoilers at the top of my voice because most of those things for me give away an awful lot of the a lot of the stuff but planet of the apes does sort of wear it on its sleeve on its sleeves it's called the planet of the apes everybody yeah. knows you know <laughs> you know the, the not the big reveal but if you go back to the first film like one of my favorite scenes is that stampede through um you know through the the cornfields yeah uh, it's a great sequence which, which is awesome and when you were talking about widescreen um gabe earlier i mean that that is kind of testament to how well this the, the, the movie is shot that's when it suddenly steps up a gear and it's so cinematic yeah um, and it's just an awesome the way that it builds with the you know those sort of uh you know them coming through and you you can't see them and at first you mm. can just see the horses and you could just see the uh you know those sort of rod things you know like, yeah and they you know, and the rifles uh, off to the right and then they yeah and off. then i mean and the reveal of of i love the reveal of the first ape guy where he charges in uh into the frame and there's a sort of uh, you know, granted, slightly cheesy, but sort of you know, operator, camera operator error, and zoom in on uh, on the one ape as he turns around. It's just yeah. it. It's like even if that was kind of a mistake, it's it's just iconic and great. It's awesome. I can't remember how we went back to the first film. I Sorry, I'm completely lost. No, it's fine because I really wanted to talk about it. Oh no, I remember with the apes, everything is well, full marketing. circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. About, no, we're talking about the marketing, but no, you know, that particular scene is supposed to be the kind of the reveal to our characters anyway that you're now on a planet that has apes on it and in you know a lot of movies nowadays that big reveal of this is the big bad or this is you know a set of characters you're going to be with for a while would be kind of kept from the public but it's yeah, cool i don't know if that's yeah. true I mean, every, marketing now, the intention of marketing now is to tell you everything about the movie. I, I mean, I've, the conversations I've had with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, marketing type people in Hollywood, they, they just flat out say that they want everybody to know exactly what happens in the movie because they, they think that familiarity is more important 
than uh, than people being surprised by stuff. See, I, I makes hate that. Ill, yeah. but that's what that's the current idea. Thing. See, I, I hate I hate that because, like, once again, going back to um, you know, I'll use for an example again. When I saw the Inception trailer in, in the theater, the first thing that came out of my head was, "What the hell is this about?" Okay, you've got me curious, and you didn't right. sell everything to me. So, first off, well, thank you. Yeah, Inception is the opposite of this. I mean, Inception is about Chris Nolan having, you know, having a lot of clout after uh, Dark Knight mm-hmm. and being able to make a movie that's very different from the kind of movies that get made today. Yeah. And that was why, I mean, I worked on Inception. That's why I was very excited to work on Inception mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, I went in, I read the script and I was like, this is like, uh, you know, this is this is like a real movie. It's not uh, it's not a sequel to anything. It's something different. It's you know it's yet it's a big ambitious sci-fi movie at the same time. It's not a tiny indie movie. Right. And uh, you know and with Chris everything's about secrecy. You know and so the idea that you would go in with a you know that they would put out a trailer that revealed everything about the movie is kind of anathema to him mm-hmm. which i think is great i mean i think that that it's i think the, the i mean the lesson that hollywood should have learned from the success of inception is that people will go see a movie because they're intrigued by it mm-hmm. not just because they're familiar with the characters or they're familiar you know they know of a property from a previous incarnation or whatever, all these ideas based on familiarity that they have that are, uh, and pre-awareness is actually the, the term that everyone uses, believe it or not. And I mean, all of that stuff is so nauseating to me and I just love the presenting you know something to an audience that they they go hey what's that? That looks intriguing. I'd like to see that movie. And then you're actually surprised by things in the movie. Inception became a hit and made all this money. I I expected, and I granted, granted, look, I, I live I live far away from Hollywood. I, I do a lot of reading though. I try to read trade magazines and intriguing articles that bring focus more attention on the industry as a whole. I just noticed from my eyes, and granted, like I said, I'm outside of Hollywood, but from what I see or from what I saw, nobody in Hollywood was talking about Inception's success. You, you know, you know what I mean. I, I didn't really yeah. see that. Well, I mean, they all are, you know, I mean, they, they all don't seem to have learned a lesson from it. I mean, it's, it's everybody writes it off as an anomaly. Um, everybody thinks, uh, oh, it's a terrible, oh, I mean, I had this, uh, this argument with the writer, Josh Fialkov, the comic writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first we met and two seconds in, we were arguing with each other uh, because uh, he was saying that, oh no, Inception, the, the, the fact that Inception is a success, doesn't that doesn't mean anything. I mean, he was coming off the dark night. People know who Chris Nolan is, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's nonsense, right. you know? People don't know who Christopher yeah. Nolan is. I mean, I spent the entire... I mean, Dark Knight was enormously successful, and I spent the entire time working on, you know, uh, on Inception uh, whenever I talked to even people here in Los Angeles who are not in the business, and I'd say, I'm working on this Christopher Nolan movie, and they'd be like, okay. Like, they had no idea who that was. You know, people don't... It, regular people don't follow this stuff, you know, right. because that's not their job. Exactly. They go to the, enjoy the movie, it, you know? Exactly, and plus, we, we are removed from the age of director naming 
you know, director name dropping. We are we are past that age. Now, look, people that are into it know the people behind the production. But in the 80s and 90s, when you heard when you heard a director name, you heard Lucas, Spielberg, Scorsese. You heard those names. Or, or yeah. Woody, Woody Allen, you know, you would hear the big, the big guns. That was it. Anybody else, you would say who, or you wouldn't even. And even I think I, even at that, I think to a certain degree, it's it's you know, it's film aficionados who yeah. know that stuff. You know, not just people going to see a movie. Right. Yeah, I just think there were more of them back in back in kind of the seventies. You know, the it was very yeah, like that. Woody Allen's movies are full of those kinds of people. You know, people in the know, um, and it's kind of almost like those people will go and see a film filled with those people <laughs> it became it yeah i don't know, I, don't know. I mean i, I, don't, I, I think... don't know about movie snobs but you know now nowadays it's kind of the people that we hear feedback from are usually the guys on the internet and those yeah. are the guys you can't you also can't conflate we're so far off plan of the apes but yeah. <laughs> you you also can't conflate us knowing about movies uh now based on their reputation mm-hmm. Uh, with them being successful at the time, right. you know, because oh, no. I mean, Woody Allen has barely made a movie that's that's been financially successful, and mm. um, you know, uh, I mean, this his current movie, um, uh, which I thought was great, actually, I, I haven't thought a Woody Allen movie was great in a really long time, uh, but Midnight in Paris is a, like a huge success. It's made it's it's his highest grossing movie ever, and it's made twenty three million dollars. You know, I mean, it, so. These, you know, a, a lot of the things we look back on now as being, you know, uh, as being like the iconic movies of a certain time, spe- especially the seventies. It doesn't mean those movies actually made any money when they came out. Mm-hmm. It's like inflated nostalgia, isn't it? That sort of built up so much in your mind as kind of setting a standard. You kind of equate that to money as well, when actually, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, no. but it's also because they're quality movies. You you just assume that because we remember them now, it's because they were a success at the time. And it's yeah. not always true. Kind of like the Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Exactly like the conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is the next one we'll be talking about. My favorite of the five. Yes. um, I'll tell you what, Matt. You know, you know this. You know, you definitely are excited about this film. I'm going to let you break it down. Okay. Um, Okay. um, So, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes um, introduces the uh, the paradox. That kind of uh, that was introduced in the third film, where um, you now have Caesar, who's the child of Zira and Cornelius. Now, what uh, uh, I suppose is a late teenager or an early twenties ape. I don't know about how apes age. I've no idea. But the makeup looked relatively young, um, and Roddy McDowell returns to play his own son. He's. It, it's set in. Is it ninety nine? I think. I think that's right. I think it's set, supposed to be set. In, I think it's supposed to be set in the late nineties. Yeah, it's supposed to be set um, in uh, nineteen ninety one. Oh, ninety one. Oh, okay. Uh, when Terminator um, Two came out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't mention that. <laughs> Six years later, the world ended. You've got this very, very bizarre society where apparently cats and dogs have been killed off by this flu epidemic and um, and humans in their absolute need to have pets of some kind when all oh, monkeys are cute and they didn't die, so they decided to um, to kind of have monkeys as pets and then we got, uh, humans got increasingly more lazy and as uh, monkeys seemed to get slightly more intelligent, they started to kind of uh, uh, treat them as slaves basically and um, you've got I mean, but I took this as sorry, but I, I always took yeah. this as so the the 
um, the apes are sort of a slave race because yeah. the cats and dogs died out. As if the cats and dogs are our slave race now. <laughs> you know? It's like I always yeah. want my dog to get me a sandwich whenever I like, you know, think about that part yeah. uh, of the movie, you know? Because it's like, what, wait, what was the logical progression? But I still, I think that is the only absolutely ridiculous thing about this movie. But it's a posable thumbscape, you know? Oh, okay. if, if your dog has a posable thumbs, no problem. Well, apes don't absolutely. either. That's, apes don't have them either. That's why. Do they, do they not? The makeups no. do. <laughs> <laughs> the, Roddy McDowell does. I'm, I'm sure he does. He can hold guns and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's fake. But go ahead. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> An ape would never shoot a person. Um, but yeah, you, so you've got um, this kind of lots of montages of different training or not really training. I mean, it's, it's this forcible, you will do this kind of tutorials that the that these kind of slave leaders are kind of taking all of these monkeys through and all the monkeys are completely messing it up the monkey that tries to make the bed is throwing the mattress all over the place and um it's just not it's not the best environment to teach i don't think in a riot situation it just doesn't really work but in it of course you've got caesar who is you know intelligent self-aware and and very very literate and he's desperately trying to keep quiet until he does let himself be known um and then he's um, kind of hounded down um, and eventually captured but he kind of sneaks back into this society and unbeknownst to to everybody else he is kind of building up this revolution around and gathering weapons and and uh trying to inform this kind of uh slave society that this isn't right and you need to rise up and eventually it all does kind of kick off and uh, and he does lead this revolution um onto the humans um and uh, and then this enormous riot does ensue and lots of people die and the the ending was slightly changed because the leader of the humans was uh, was about to be kind of massacred and they uh, they decided to change it slightly at the end which I thought was quite weird because they they kind of went through this very um, direct route all the way through this film and through the first three where they're not afraid to kind of give you give you something at the end that's a real downer and it always felt like they pulled their punch a little bit with the ending and they made Caesar this uh, this kind of compassionate guy right at the end but um, I, I, I love it it's just it's oh, just yeah. bizarre and uh, the the set that they use for it, it apparently it was kind of a new build development that they well no built. it's Century City it's uh, it's actually right behind the Fox lot it's oh wow uh, it, it's a um, Century City is where it, you know a lot of you know sixties modern buildings it's all lawyers and stuff like that and right. there's a mall there uh, Century City Mall which I when I worked at the Fox lot you can walk out the back of the Fox lot and go like have lunch in their food court and uh, the but the mall still looks exactly like that i've been there a million times like to where the little bridge is where they go across oh, and wow. you know where they're all fighting and everything uh it's uh it still looks exactly like that oh that's so cool i knew it had it, only just been finished i think or it was still yeah bake, because the no, back lot the fox right the fox back lot had been right there and say and they bulldozed the whole back lot and made and and put up this you know it sold the the um the property because fox was doing so badly you know, at the time. And so they had only recently built all this.
I just remember once again bleak deaths of Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> yeah. This franchise just loves being bleak. And if the opportunity <laughs> presents itself, damn it, they're going to do it. Yeah. And so, and once again, I was like, huh, didn't really see that coming. And then it happened. I'm like, oh, okay. And, but that, you know, helps once again continue to build, uh, you know, build the character of, uh, of Caesar. Look, I, I've watched movies, you know, I, you know, study this stuff a little bit. And, but there's still a lot of things I'm still learning when it comes to cinema. Now, is it, I don't know if it's just me, but there are like a lot of scenes where this film is poorly lit. And I don't know if they did that on purpose, or if it was like a budgetary thing, or if this was if that was just the look they wanted. And do you mean the the stuff at the end where it's the end isn't it? The, all the dark stuff at the end. Oh no, I didn't mind the dark stuff at the end. It's like um like it was kind of like they used like natural light was used to like this bizarre effect in like almost uh, in certain daytime exterior shots. It was it was just it was just kind of it was just kind of odd to me. And like I said, I'm still learning about lighting. So, you know, as far as the use of natural light as opposed to on on how a scene is lit, but it was just bizarre. But no, like the night stuff. Uh, yeah, cuz I really like the look of this movie. I, yeah. I I like that it's it's got a sort of, you know, it's got the early 70s grittiness, but it, there's a I feel like there's a sort of there's a little bit more of a sort of aggressive visual style to it than uh than a lot of the other movies especially the previous two movies this has you know they're very stylized stuff with all the in black and white sort of interiors like the you know the the set designs are very stylized and uh you know and i feel like they use the camera more in it that's never really like been a problem for me i mean especially like on the you know, with the newer transfers it it, it looks I think it's a pretty decent looking movie. Okay, cool. At least as I remember. All right. I don't know. And see, and it, it may, and it may have a lot of it may have had to do when when I watched it, it was like on it was just like on it was on standard cable, and it was right. and, it, and it was yeah. it, it was a non HD feed, and you know it was a different. Well, it's like one of those lousy old like you know sixteen millimeter prints that they would make you uh, of you know a very dupey sort of sixteen millimeter print. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of what I was saying before about how my my feeling about all of the movies was that they looked kind of grimy and ugly until I actually saw them, you know, saw the nicer transfers, the nicer widescreen transfers. I also remember that once again, watching the AMC um, uh, documentary about, about these films, when they got to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, they had been said that during screenings, because of the violence and how like the apes were revolting against civilization that essentially like kids were screaming and crying and like (laughs) mothers were pulling kids out of the theaters because you know they felt it was just way too violent and then the change of the monologue by um by caesar at the end of the film and that's why you have the tight close-up you know because they changed the dialogue because they just thought it was a little bit too it was a little bit too dark and it was a little bit too menacing and so that's why you, you know you get that touch of compassion by mcdowell at the end um on that speech but i i I, that the ending i think is great like the way that's put together the way that's you know put together shot even though they did change the dialogue that tight close-up to me is just it's menacing and it's just so serious in a film that once again that if you want to you really don't have to take this seriously but they find a way to do so to make you take it seriously i thought that in itself was great well, well have you guys other, seen the other version? Have you seen the No, the I was just it, I was going to say the how I, I yeah, I want to know how uh, how that would have ended. I mean, I have it's on the Blu-ray, which I had no idea when I got the set. You know, there's like a, a, a option for an alternate version and, and and I was I was totally blown away that it was cuz I'm I'm like a nerdy fan of this movie. Like I really like this movie. Like especially when I saw it again like in the 90s or something and just 
the rawness of it and the you know the whole sort of revolutionary thing is just totally impossible to resist mm-hmm. the, but the original version uh, that's on the blu-ray is it's not just changing that little speech at the end it is a lot more violent i mean they cut out a lot of the um of the really sort of graphic sort of squibs going off and uh, guys just getting mowed down and i mean it's it's actually significantly more violent as well wow oh. see i need to and see awesome so this is my <laughs> it's, just the- it's <laughs> fantastic <laughs> So is it is it mainly the the violence in in the end riot sequence? It's in the or? end, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It's all stuff in the end. It's all about you know. It, there's just more of them. You know, it's just I think they just cut away a lot of the stuff where uh, where the people were more graphically getting mowed down and stuff, and the sort of execution of the guy at the end. And it's just there is just something so bleak and fucking hardcore about the version where he where Caesar is totally unrepentant. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so how did you get think, it? <laughs> for, the, for the other version too though I mean I think that there's something it's not the other the, the theatrical version isn't like invalid it's kind of interesting that uh, that he would go right up to the edge and then back off and uh, and say no wait maybe we have to uh, be better than this but there's something really satisfying about him just be him going over the top and being and turning into you know Caesar you know yes. into Julius Caesar you know being the guy who takes things who dismantled the Republic previous three films the previous oh the previous uh, previous films we talked about about they were all like rated g and if memory serves me right even though james franciscus took a header on screen it was rated g Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, they, they were apparently a lot more liberal about this. I mean, also, like, all three of the astronauts are naked in the first movie, and it's still rated G. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This movie was, was this the one that, that was rated PG? Was this the first one, Conquest? Was that the first one that was actually think, got a PG rating? I think that's right, Yeah. It should have been if it wasn't. Yeah. It was, uh, the guy at the end, does he, in the version that you've got on the Blu-ray, does he? do they just go ahead and pound him with the rifle butts? or? I think that they do. You don't, I don't think you see that very explicitly. Now I'm no. having, I should, have, I should have watched it again. I, I think that that's not that graphic as I remember it, but there's a lot more graphic, like sort of pe- apes getting shot, gotcha. people getting shot and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then the, the sort of very ominous Caesar speech. Mm. I like the poster for this one as well. It's very Monty Python almost. It's kind of those those massive, huge rock-like letters, and then you've got Caesar's head kind of to the left, uh, and this kind of crowd at the bottom. It was uh, it's, that's a really striking poster. But yeah, it's 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 definitely my favourite of the of the of the five. I think it's got the most to say. They used like the riot footage. They used the LA riot footage for you know for for to kind of almost side by side compare with it with a lot of it. But it's. I don't know the use of color in it as well. Those red uniforms are kind of stark. That red against the white as well, and and clearly yeah, and there's no color in the production design. I mean, oh, right. you know, part of that is just what Century City looks like. But they, you know, for the interiors and stuff, they pull out all the color, and it's all, you know, sort of very, very monochromatic. And it, I think that it sets the tone really well. Mm, and Gestapo uniforms too. Yes, <laughs> you've got these really, really clearly almost yeah nazi uniforms yeah those really obviously yeah fascist sort of uniforms and we're also in this phase where 
20th Century Fox has learned how to continue to make money off of these films even after they've been out of the cinema for a very long period of time. We have a situation where they're starting to do things like marathons where you can go see all the movies at a, oh, right. you know at a, at a cinema and like go ape. Yeah, cuz I remember one of, the, one of the promotional posters is like 20th Century Fox wants you to go ape and it's instead of Uncle Sam, it's ape with the Uncle Sam outfit. <laughs> you, you know, stuff yeah. stuff like that and you know they're doing they're doing more merchandising. You got t-shirts, yeah, you got some toys and stuff like that, but they always wanted you to come back to see the ape so they're like okay you want to go see this new new movie well that's awesome but check it out if you missed out the on the other ones here you go because once again we're not in the vhs rental era we're not in the dvd era this was just how you know how they found the best way to make more money off of these films and continue the franchise once again these films continue to make money even with lower budgets we are starting to get toward the end of our run and after conquest we go to the battle for the planet of the apes now i will be the first to admit i have yet to see this film in its entirety every time oh, really? yeah every time i watch this film <laughs> oh. every time every single time i've watched this movie i it's on the scene where the the the, uh, the final battle is starting and i see the bus going across the grass every single time <laughs> never fails and i'm just like you know what i'm done <laughs> and, 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 and i just and i just walk away now the only thing i know about this movie the only thing I know is that the gentleman that directed Conquest, he directed Battle for the Planet of the Apes, right? Thompson. Yeah, it's yeah. Jay Lee Thompson. Okay. Yeah, and he and he had directed Cape Fear, and you know he was like, I I picture him as maybe like, ha, you know, he was a relatively successful director in the early '60s, and maybe he had like a drinking problem or something. I'm not really sure what, how he ended up directing the Planet of the Apes movies, but like I feel like he was bringing like a higher level of craft in a certain way than uh, than the the other sequel directors had. Mm. He made the movies a little more stylishly. And this last movie, like everybody hates <laughs> this movie, but I don't, you know, I mean, I like, I, I don't know. There's something like, uh, I just don't think it's quite as bad as everybody makes it out. I mean, like it's, yes, it's silly. Yeah. It's maybe not. I mean, like everybody talks about it. Like it's the much more kiddified, you know, one it's much more for kids, but I don't know. It still seems like there's a lot of fucking miserable stuff and kids getting, you know, crippled and killed and, you know, yeah. uh, pseudo Shakespearean stuff in it. You know, I like all that stuff. Now, is it better than Return of the Jedi? Well, uh, that's a tough call. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, I, there's, there's lots of tree houses in it. It's quite similar. That's, it is. that's true. Oh, yeah. that's true. Oh no, I, I just joke. I, I I just joke. Sometimes like I'll take like move when movies like when a franchise like Planet of the Apes has like a slew of movies, I'll say like I'll say, well, it was it better than Return of the Jedi? As a kid, I love Return of the Jedi. As I've gotten older, I, you know, there are things about it that I enjoy, but the film as a whole, I like less and less. So, yeah. you know, I, I, so I, I think I, I've come around on, on that in a certain way, though. I mean, I, I certainly went through my Return of the Jedi isn't a good movie uh, phase, and now I kind of feel like. Yeah, it's not a good movie, but you know what? There are a couple of of, of entertaining things in it, and oh, yeah. uh, and I'm going to take it on those terms. Okay, you cool. can't do without it, though. That's the thing. You can't, yeah, exactly. You, if, I mean, if it does said, pay off all those things that we, you yeah. know, uh, that if if you just never paid off the relationship with Luke and Vader and everything, then we wouldn't think about those movies in the same way. Oh, good point. Anyway. No, point well taken. Point, 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 no, seriously, point well yeah, taken. Sure. So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take us <laughs> off the track. I'm going to put us back on, on the track because I need y'all to tell me more about Battle for the Planet of the Apes and why I need to watch this movie. Well, um, it, it, for, for me, it's the, it's, um, it's the Mad Maxness of it. 
Yeah. Um, it's the one with the most ridiculous band of human survivors um, as baddies um, ever. Like, if you thought the yeah. mutants were weird, this little yeah. society of people that seem to have lots of cars underground and just sort of, they're all very non menacing until the the end they kind of just chat and talk to each other with while the camera's being very diagonal and lit from underneath and it it, it it's just bizarre until that end sequence where all of a sudden you're like oh okay you mean business yeah it, it's the most kind of post-apocalyptic one um although it's got those traits of those kind of mad max movies where it's kind of okay you've you've made an alteration to your car so i can see that you've you know it's something from the future and there's a real kitschness about it and um caesar's son is blatantly just christian slater as a monkey uh in the movie (laughs) and it feels like that end battle scene feels like the middle section of a movie it doesn't feel like the finale to a film and i know that there's that final piece where um caesar is um kind of challenging the person that 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 killed his son and that's supposed to be the real final act but the i think the problem a lot of people with it is with people have with the film is it doesn't really pay off the climactic battle isn't all that climactic because there are only five there are only five people there really right um But um, I, I still like it. I still really like it. I love the the kind of power struggle between the gorillas uh, um, in this one. Gorillas yeah. make the worst the worst pupils in school ever. Apparently, <laughs> they just rip, they just rip up rip up all of your your work, and they're they're very rebellious to the teacher all the time. Bit cheeky. Very very entertaining. I love that power play stuff between the gorillas and the chimps, and, and their secret little meetings where he just repeats things over and over again. <laughs> It's great, but I, I probably like it for, not for the wrong reasons. But I, I don't like it because it's a, you know, cinematically it's a good film. No, um, it's not. It's just, a good all, film. It's just no. all the. It's just all the, <laughs> it's just all the shit I like. You know. <laughs> no, it's much more uh, like I mean, it, it's it's much more over into something that's kind of cheesy and kind of enjoyable, but not necessarily for the reasons intended, or or I'm not even really sure what the reasons intended were. But I still think that. Like Return of the Jedi, there are things in it that uh, that are not as terrible as they could be for a kids' movie like this. Yeah. There are some slightly epic things to it, and it's still got Roddy McDowell doing his, yes. uh, you know, his Caesar thing, and you know, and it's sort of the, it's still sort of the uh, evolution of uh, of of the dictator thing. Where do you go from the point where where you've gotten everybody to revolt, and uh, uh, and now how do you grapple with power? Granted, these are not dealt with in the most most sophisticated ways in this movie, <laughs> but like I, but I still kind of enjoy and appreciate those elements. So I can't make a really good case for it being like a good movie, mm-hmm. but I do kind of enjoy it in a sort of guilty way. Oh no, and that's and that's fine. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a movie, even though you know it may not be you know good or great. There's nothing wrong with it. when people apologize for like guilty pleasure films. I'm like, why are you apologizing? If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Shoot, I'm not going to punch you in the face because you because you do. Right, <laughs> and it. But, and it also has uh, a, uh, a prologue and an epilogue with John Huston, a legendary director of the uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, oh. as the lawgiver, which is I can't I can't resist that. No, <laughs> of yeah. course not. Yeah. And the and the people he's talking to are the the same kid pulls or put doesn't isn't there two children that are pushing each other? There's like a little girl, a little human girl. But I think it's there's so. a, um, an a pulling someone's pigtails or pushing someone over while Houston's talking, which is very rude. <laughs> yeah. but, um, <laughs> no, it's a very cool scene. 
This week's episode is also brought to you by Snowed In from Action Lab Entertainment, who advises you not to open up your doors this Halloween. Action Lab Entertainment brings you the frightening and chilled tale of Snowed In. A relaxing cabin vacation for four close friends takes a turn for the worse during a severe blizzard. A frantic stranger arrives to warn them that it is coming for them. It wants them dead. But what is it? And how far will these four individuals go to protect themselves? Snowed In is a self-contained 40-page one-shot written by Sean Gabbard with beautifully rendered and atmospheric artwork by Rick Lundin. Snowed In is available for pre-order this month at Discount Comic Book Service, T-Fall, various online retailers, and your local comic book store with an order code of August 110749 with an October release. Pre-order your copy today. And additional information and release schedule can be found at actionlabcomics.com. But the 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 crying statue at the end, Gabe. Should we get? Yeah. Should we get? Should we get deep on that? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> what are they really trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. That that was a little too subtle for me. It just kind of uh, <laughs> just a tad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what happens at the end, Sean? Do you, do you not know? No, or? no, no. I honestly don't know because, as I said before, the only every time I try to watch it, that scene where the fight starts and I see the bus about to break down halfway through through the battle, I, I, every time, every time I try to watch it, that's the scene. So I don't know if like if cable television has something against me from watching this film, or I just need to just go buy the whole box set so I can watch what, this it film. Right. It breaks or you lose signal? Or no, you just... no. It's just every time I turn it on, I'm like, oh, look, Belle, for the, for the Planet of the Apes is on. That's the scene. And, and, and maybe if, if it's streaming on Netflix, I can watch it that way. But, but literally, every time it's on, I'm always late to the party, and it's right at that scene at the battle at the end. And I'm just like, you know what? I would really like to watch this from the, from the beginning. So I just I walk away. I see. All right. I, do you know what I think you're well, probably you're actually probably better off if you hold it in really high regard in your brain and never having had watched it you might be I don't know no, I think you might, you I might still, be okay I will sure. say this though for me I I like even this movie I like more than Two. than Beneath the Planet yeah. Yeah. which I just never feels like it gets going anywhere and people just wander along and you know do with with I mean there's no like there's never any sort of drive in the movie at all. I mean, they're you know it, for a movie that where the the uh, the world blows up at the end. There's no ticking clock. There's no giant reason for anybody to get anywhere. Uh, it, it's in that way. It's it's so kind of limp. At least I feel like there's more of a story in this fifth one, even if it's pretty silly. Okay, no, no, I'm def- definitely more likely to watch to watch the fifth film than I am the second. That you enjoy what you enjoy, and I eventually am going to get. <laughs> To this, I'm eventually going to get to this because, like, I have a list of things that I would like to own this year. One of those is that Blu-ray Planet of the Apes box set. See, and now I have to have it for the simple fact that I can see the alternate ending to Conquest. (laughs) So, yeah, I got it super cheap. I don't know. I don't remember what happened, but there was some like Amazon deal for like five minutes where you could get it. Like, you know, I got it for like. $40 $40 or something like that. Oh. It was not expensive, you know? That right. Uh, but I think that was just some instant deal that I just happened to see. Yeah. I, I, is, I there a, is there a book in there, Gabe? Have you got like a... I heard that there was like a hardcover book inside it or... I is it, think is it there? there was. Now I can't really remember. I know there's like a timeline of the entire... You know, like as it fold, you fold it out and there's a timeline of, oh, okay. you know, of, of how things have played out in the ape universe, you know? Which... 
doesn't make a lot of sense even nope. when you read the timeline. So you know, but <laughs> should we uh, should we um, approach the paradox? We, I don't think we've have we. Yeah, we can talk about it. I mean, but yeah, the the fact that oh god, I don't know, Matt, maybe you should explain it. Okay, know. so you okay. <laughs> so Zira and Cornelius have sex and create a tiny baby monkey and leave it in in their past, and then their own child grows up to create their own future therefore it should never have happened is that right yeah yeah exactly they they it's it's a weird closed loop mm. closed time like loop where they could never have been born in the first place in order yeah. to have the kid to start their society but i mean i think that it's not really a loop in a way because their tailor you know traveling into the future makes it possible for them to travel into the past of their their particular timeline and then change the future from there. So the future is just a different branch from uh, where the first two movies would never happen. That's gotcha. what I'm saying. H- hence why they keep repeating this thing about the motorway. Uh, I think it's... Is it in the... F- which one is it? I think it's in Conquest, where the one where the the guy who's kind of the very younger version of the Doctor Sayers character keeps on about this uh, concept that there's a you know you imagine a highway and there are many branches and your oh, destination right. is they he keeps on kind of harping on about this but yeah it's it changes for me every day I'll be driving in the car and for some reason I'll suddenly <laughs> go no that can't work and then I'll turn and left and I'll go hang on a minute oh no no I think I've just thought of a way that it could work and I forget that thought and then I, yeah. Yeah, it will go around again. But um, I say it's all about branching. It's all about branching timelines. I, I think it's all about you know it's it's that they'll never in the in the version where where Caesar starts everything, they'll never get back to to the planet of the apes that we know from the Charlton Heston movie. So as of number four, as of the end of number three and the beginning of number four, really number one never happens. Yes, that's yes, what I say. Cool. Okay. Because well, and also, if it's this is this is gonna this can get deep and, and, and scary really easily. <laughs> Look, because that's nineteen ninety one. He already left, right? He's leaving in oh now I can't remember what it is. Uh, but I thought he's leaving in sometime in well I don't know now I can't remember when Charlton Heston leaves Earth. It's in the nineties. No, seventy two. What year? Yeah, but it's yeah, but it, really? Is it 72? Yeah, it says um, in the year... I'm reading from the little booklet from my DVD set. In the year 1972, Taylor and his crew set off to colonize oh. the nearest habitable planet. Right, so then they're presumably in... I mean, when they go back in time, they're in 1971 or two, right? So doesn't he have to be leaving, like, soon? Yes. So uh, who knows? Maybe maybe then Charlton Heston goes forward and goes to into a different, a completely different version of the future because they've changed the, the present. We have just I we have just gone JJ Abrams we had Star it Trek for a second. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm, I mean I'm cool with that though. But I, I like the idea of branches because you know also because of these branches and because of the last film we ended up with an additional uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, but this time it was a television series. Or as I like, oh, yeah. or as I like to call it, Bo and Luke Duke and the Planet of the Apes, because I, this was the very first Planet of the Apes I ever I ever saw. 
um, it was there were two episodes. They pieced them together and made a movie that aired on just um, on just a standard local television channel. And that's where I first saw Planet of the Apes. I didn't really watch this show too much, but the whole process of the of the show is the two the two folks escape, help the apes with something, get caught, and repeat. And that was the, the process of the show during its entire run, as far as I can remember. I know it's available on DVD now, as well as the cartoon, the Planet of the Apes cartoon, which I have never seen. I have. Now, now how is that cartoon? It's awful. Oh. Um, the, well, it's weird because it's, it's, it's partly awful. I mean, some of it is kind of neat. The, it's all very limited animation, you know, so things don't move a lot in it. But that means some of the drawings are a little bit better. It was supervised by Doug Wildey, who, uh, who uh, is a favorite like artist of mine you know he did a, a lot of cool comics art stuff and uh but he was also the guy um who kind of supervised johnny quest and which had kind of a cool look to it so there's some neat things about the look of it but it is so painfully slow i've never made it through more than two episodes of it it's it's not a good show it's not it's, it's, and, it's and it's confusing as well i mean it's it's like uh it's it has cornelius and zira in it and Dr. Zayas in it, but the world of it looks completely different. They have like technology and cars and, you know, everything is this sort of faux Roman column sort of buildings and stuff like that. And, and it makes references that make, you know, yet it's about different astronauts ending up in, in, in that ape world. And they make reference to Brent. They find Nova who has, uh, who has the dog tags, uh, that from the from Brent from the from the second movie, yet there's no real reference made to like why everything would be different or that 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 uh, and Cornelius and Zira seem to have never seen somebody a human who talks before. It's incredibly confusing if you try to think about it in context of the other one. So <laughs> I, th- I think you need to persevere, Gabe. I think that you're just scratching the surface. It's it's streaming on Hulu, so uh, for free. Oh, so really, if all no. of this has just happened in the first two episodes. I think all of these questions will be answered, Gabe. Oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> plan it is just the most tedious show ever i mean it's like you just like tumbleweeds go through as you're waiting for people to respond to each other in the dialogue i mean it's just so glacially paced i will try to persevere though oh my i will watch the rest of this show no i I, I don't think i don't think you should try like i have it i have it up on hulu right now and and it's playing no now, some some spots it looks really good, but no, let it go, let it go, brother. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. I the TV show, the live action TV show, I, I've I've seen a couple episodes and I have the vaguest memories of, but mostly I just remember that being kind of boring in that sort of late seventies TV show way of, you know, the, the same thing happens over and over again, and yeah, it's yeah. it's just kind of it just takes place at a different farm each week or they they find someone else who's got something stuck and they have to help them get it out and yeah <laughs> i mean i i have the i have the set in front of me and uh, it's 14 episodes and i think i picked it up cheap on the yeah. back of you know buying the the blu-ray set but uh yeah i i, I just love love the series in its entirety and and I, i've got to say sean as soon as you said you know suggested that we um that we do this i it it wasn't that i needed an excuse to revisit this but these but it was nice to 
kind of you know when you have kind of a deadline to do something and it's kind of I can just I can roll around in Planet of the Apes for a week um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed kind of revisiting all this stuff um, especially number four there you go that was yeah. um, it was it was great to watch that again now because I, I think I'd forgotten how much I really enjoyed that one so, uh, yeah absolutely. and if you get to Los Angeles go to go to the Century City Mall check out this uh, <laughs> you, I guarantee you one day my Facebook page will be full of me uh yeah, <laughs> full of me kind of standing on all those bits and pieces, not reenacting any riots. I'm sure they they get used to that there. You know, the the local geeks going around. Oh yeah, I don't think anyone would ever notice. <laughs> At, at the time of this recording, the new Planet of the Apes movie hasn't been released yet. There is one more Apes film uh, that we have not talked about, and it was the uh, um. Let's see here. The 2001 20th Century Fox version of Planet of the Apes, directed by Tim Burton. How can I say this? It looks good. The ape effects look great. Story-wise, I can't get behind this. All the mystery, all the excitement, everything emotionally that I was able to get from the movies I watched from the past are not really here in this film. And if they wanted to take it another way, that's fine because I don't mind that if you want to try to quote unquote reimagine things and that's a word that like I kind of get sick of hearing. If you want to do your own thing. That's actually, that's the movie where everybody started using that word reimagine because like it's, you know, because people within a lot of people within the movie business make fun of the term reimagining. I mean, I've had Sam Raimi say to me several times, oh, we're going to reimagine this like Tim Burton kind of making fun of him. (laughs) But uh, the, but yeah, that horrible term kind of came up because of that Planet of the Apes movie. And I, I just, I honestly, I didn't enjoy the film at all. And I wanted to, I really wanted to like it. And like the only thing, the only thing I enjoyed about the film was the end for two reasons. One, it was silly. The ending was completely silly, you know, and trust me, I'm not spoiling this for, for anybody. If you haven't watched this, it's been 10 years. Mark Wahlberg escapes from the Planet of the Apes. He thinks he lands back on Earth. Come to find out he's on Earth, but it's a uh, Earth that's run by apes. Even though civilization looks normal the way it's supposed to be, apes get out of police cars. There's their ape SWAT teams and stuff like that. And Wahlberg's like, and there's an ape Abraham Lincoln. Yes, at it, the Lincoln Memorial. Yes, and, and that's like straight. That's straight classic 1970s, 1980s comic book storytelling right there with that image. Yeah, and yeah. and like um, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. There you go. I I I gotta say the ending of that movie made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I I I really I was angry because it I thought you know I had been kind of a Tim Burton fan in the past you know, I was a fan of his first few movies and um, like it really just seemed like they didn't care at all yeah like it seemed like they thought well we're not clever and you know we have we have no ideas for how to end this movie so if we just throw this thing in here maybe people will just be distracted enough that that, that they'll <laughs> they'll think oh that's the end of a movie right. i didn't work on the movie but i've uh, i have several friends who did i'd worked with with the production designer a lot and a little after it came out i was working on something else with one of the art directors from the movie and i said to him what the what the fuck was with the ape Abraham Lincoln at, at the end of that movie? Like, what what was what were they trying to say? How how did, was that supposed to make sense? And his response was like, 
oh, it doesn't make sense. It was never even supposed to make sense. Just nobody knew how to end the movie. Mm -mm -mm. Anyway, the thing that bugs me uh, about it is just that Tim Burton, he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't care about making a real movie. It, it just is such a stark contrast because the first movie is trying to be smart and having this big twist at the end and having these, these elements that make it a sort of smart sci-fi movie. And then even if some of the production aspects of it are not as impressive now. And in the Tim Burton movie, all the production aspects of it are really impressive. Yeah. But they had no story to tell. Right. And, it was, and it felt kind of like they didn't care. It felt like, oh yeah, so anyway, he shows up and there's some apes and he runs around. And then why, how do we end this thing? I don't know. Ape Abraham Lincoln? I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess that Tim Burton really isn't the guy for making sort of smart, incisive movies anyway. He's sort of a visual stylist and makes really? movies. Alice in Wonderland was really smart, I thought. Okay. That, that was a joke. That's I wasn't serious. That's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> No. See, I did well. It might have been smart. I made it. Uh, I think uh, eleven minutes into the free DVD screener I got uh, around awards season, mm. and that was enough for me. Mm -hmm. I'm, do you know what? I'm the same with the, the Planet of the Apes movie. Um, as soon as he um, gets sucked into the wormhole thing, crashes, he gets captured. Chris uh, Chris Christopherson turns up, and then as soon as Helena Bonham Carter does her best, Kim Hunter. I, I'm just, I'm just floored. I'm completely bored, and and I can't, I just can't make it anywhere, anywhere past that point. I, I only ever saw it the one time in the theater, and just have never gone back to it. This is how I knew. This is how I knew that that there would never be a sequel to that Planet of the Apes film that dropped in 2001. Worldwide, this movie made 362 million dollars. Okay, worldwide, both U.S. and foreign. Spent about like a hundred million on it to make it, and probably advertising. I'm not hundred percent sure how much they spent in advertising, but the worldwide they double the budget. They just double the budget, so like two hundred million and three hundred sixty-two worldwide. Yeah, say a studio, I think like gets like fifty, you know, like fifty-five percent of that. And so you know, then you have DVD sales at the time, were still which were a big thing at the time. The ending alone guaranteed that there would never be a sequel, because how do you come out of that? Yeah, where do you go? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, Tim Burton seems to, he's not afraid of move, making a movie that doesn't make any sense. So, oh, you know, true. there's that. that but <laughs> that, that is true. But I just thought I just thought it was an awful film. I did yeah. not enjoy it at all. Uh, yeah. You know, but but now we have, like I said, the new movie coming out. Uh, like I said before, as of this recording, it hasn't been released yet. Um, do any of you gentlemen have any thoughts on this uh, on this new film? Um, I, I'm interested. I mean, I kind of feel like it's not it's a lot of what I like about Planet of the Apes is kind of the world that it creates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and this just being something that's just very much a near future or contemporary sort of thing where it's just the apes get angry and they run around is one ape gets smart. And it's, it's sort of a remake of Conquest. Yes. And it's possible that I, I'm, I'd be into it. I just saw the newest trailer when we went to see X-Men the other day. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm very much reserving judgment i have a like a love-hate relationship you know with the studio you, you know there were times where 
Where, like, say, for instance, like, you know, they release a film like X-Men First Class, which, although I have one issue with the movie, the movie itself I did enjoy. thought it was their best Marvel Comics movie they've done, period, as compared to all the other ones they've done before. But there are just, like, a lot of things with that studio as a whole that I've always had issue with over the past few years. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give this film the benefit of, of the doubt. I, I did like the trailers. I, I liked what I've seen so far. And they didn't sell me everything, which which I enjoy. But they sold me enough, but they didn't sell me everything. So, you know, I, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to try to keep an open mind about it. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to go and see it. I, I think the the trailer feels quite um, kind of weighted. It's, it, it's quite a, a tense little trailer. You've got that kind of... Um, almost like alarm synth score running along, you know, the the back of it, and it's uh, it's quite slow at the beginning, and then you it becomes quite smart, and you've got that monk, you've got the, you know, they've he's constructed some kind of appliance and managed to break out, but it's quite clear that you're not going to find any talking monkeys who are wearing clothes um, at any point during this movie. It's just kind of mini King Kongs. Yeah kill people yeah. I mean, and and watch them sleep but i'm down for that <laughs> yeah i mean that could be cool a, a good friend of mine has, has worked on the movie uh in visual effects you know for for quite a while and uh you know he knows i'm a big fan of these movies and he kept saying to me i don't know if you'll like it <laughs> like it's not like the, you know it's not like the other ones i mean it's i, I can't it's, it's different i don't know if you'll like it i, I mean i know that the um you know weta did the uh the visual yeah. effects and you know a lot of the a lot of good people worked on that stuff. The stuff in, when I saw it projected, a, a lot of the um, the Caesar visual effects stuff looks a little like it's getting into that uncanny valley area where it doesn't. It's it almost looks like it's you know like like it's photorealistic, mm-hmm. but falls apart a little bit in a way that's slightly distracting to me. But then I've I've been working on these movies for a long time, oh, and it's oh, no. it's hard for me to look at it in a way that's you know detached from that. Oh no, no, I understand that because like in a lot of ways, when you start to watch like certain movies that were made like when in like you know when CG became really prevalent and very in a lot of films overdone. When you yeah. take like a regular DVD, pop it into like a Blu-ray disc player, you see the separation between the CG and the film. Unlike when you watch it at the cinema, that 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 um that separation isn't there, so it yeah. blends in a lot better. That but your eye also just wasn't trained to see it as much. I mean, like the more complex the stuff gets, the more the older stuff sticks out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very true, very true. And then that's what I that's what I I don't want to see that when I go see this movie. I don't want to see that separation. If it if it can blend in well. I'm cool with it. It's just that I guess I'm of the school that when it comes to making these movies, the over-reliance on CGI for me, I'm I'm, I'm kind of annoyed by it. To me, use it when you need to use it. That I understand. But when you're using it just to use it, it becomes a crutch. It, It becomes a crutch. To me, it becomes a major crutch. And that's a problem. But it could, if the movie's good, if the story's good, if they get across a performance from the mocap, uh, you know Caesar. Then it's none of it's going to matter. You know the the goofy masks don't matter in the old movie when you know when it's working as a, as a movie. And so the the slightly iffy visual effects won't really matter if the um, if the story's really good. If the story's not really good, I'm going to spend the entire time going. God, these effects suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm with you, Sean. I'm going to give it the the benefit of the doubt. 
I uh, and and um, yeah, my son saw the trailer a while ago, and he's going to be eight in like two weeks' time, and he's seen the first Planet of the Apes film. I'm half tempted to skip over the second one and just completely crush him with the end of the third film but <laughs> but he uh yeah he 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 wants to go and see this one so I'll, i will i will use my excuse of oh, i'm taking my son because i know <laughs> my wife won't want to go and see the movie so That concludes our talk, our all-inclusive talk about everything Planet of the Apes, with the exception of like lunch boxes and stuff, because I didn't have one. This came out a lot better than I, than I thought it than I thought it would. Um, I didn't know we would be able to, to talk about Planet of the Apes for over two hours, and we were able, <laughs> and we were able to do that. We got in deep. Yes, we went on some tangents. Probably, yeah, probably nobody else thought we could talk about it that long either. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That, that's okay. It, it's it's cool. I really I really enjoyed this, and actually, it gives me a better appreciation of the series of films, the original series. It gives me a much better appreciation of it. That that in itself is going to help me enjoy watching these films again. But before we go, uh, Gabriel, uh, Matt, uh, if you could, um, and we'll start with you, Gabriel, um, you know, just tell the people where they can find you on the internet and whatnot. Uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, the main way to find me on the internet is to just follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's my name, uh, Gabriel Hardman. Um, I, uh, and I have, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm drawing Hulk for Marvel. Uh, I have three more issues of, uh, of my Hulk run that are coming out. Um, it's, I believe it's issues 39 through 41, uh, the Omega X arc. Uh, and then I'll be done with my, my year long run on that book. And, uh, I'll be heading on to other things. Uh, which I can't talk about yet. <laughs> oh, no problem. That's absolutely fine. And Matt, um, where can they find you and everything you do? Uh, probably the same. Um, not Gabriel Harbin, obviously, at Twitter.com. But um, probably the same. It would be um, Matt underscore Burden on Twitter and Facebook, of course. And, of course, you can find me over at Matinee Idols. Um, and Burden's World is on a bit of hiatus until I can get some decent recording equipment because there's only so many times I can uh, think of material record it for an hour and lose it with audacity um so <laughs> i'm i'm that's on a little bit of break but it will be back um and uh, hopefully with some uh, some much better sounding episodes so um but for the time being yeah you can always always hear me on matt and the idol so all right that's me all right sounds good well gentlemen thank you again for uh, for for coming down to the show really appreciate it and once again thank you for reminding me of uh, how much fun planet of the apes can be even in its most bleakest of moments <laughs> no thank you no thanks man it's been great And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD podcast network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.